3AM Tales of Terror contains explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to 3AM Tales of Terror, where we tell you stories of the paranormal. I'm your host, Jamie. And I'm your co-host, Charlie. And in today's episode, we're going to be telling you two stories of the paranormal. Our first one's going to be the Surrency House Ghost in Surrency, Georgia. And our second tale is going to be the Ghost of the Bellamy Bridge in Florida. So we're going to get started with the Surrency House Ghost and talk about the crazy things that this ghost did, because this is a wild story. One of the most famous ghost stories in the history of the South dates back to the early 1870s in the town of Surrency, a small hamlet located about 60 miles southwest of Savannah, Georgia. That was the opinion of Herschel Tillman when he recalled his many visits to the home of Alan Powell Surrency when he was a boy in the early 1870s. And interestingly, he was one of a thousand witnesses to the strange and sometimes violent paranormal activity that plagued that home. In any case, Alan Powell Surrency, a sawmill operator and founder of the town, built his family in a large two-story farmhouse near the railroad tracks. But not long after moving in and when returning home from a trip to Hazelhurst in October of 1872, it became horrifyingly apparent to the family that they were not alone in the house. Strange things started to happen, and before long, the family realized that their house was nothing more than a den of angry, restless spirits. In a letter he wrote to the Savannah Morning News, Surrency himself said, A few minutes after my arrival, I saw the glass tumblers begin to slide off the slab and the crockery to fall upon the floor and break. The books began to tumble from their shelves to the floor, while brick bats, billets of wood, smoothing irons, biscuits, potatoes, tin pans, water buckets, pitchers, etc. began to fall in different parts of my house. There have been many other strange occurrences about my house. These facts can be established by 75 or 100 witnesses. So plenty of witnesses. That's, yeah, that I, I highlighted that because I was like, oh my gosh, that's this crazy. This ghost is not shy. No. <laughs> so it was a violent haunting witnessed by every member of the family. No one was spared the rage of the ghost or ghost that inhabited the house. Windows slammed shut, doors opened and closed, and the clock on the wall spun wildly. Silverware flew from the drawers, along with pots, pans, and anything else lying around the house. Every meal the Surrencies ate at their table would end up in their laps, thrown across the room at the walls, or on the floor. Their utensils weren't even safe, bending or twisting by an unknown force while in their hands. The worst of it all came at night, when the Surrencies would see pairs of evil, beady red eyes around their property, as if they were being watched each and every time the sun went down. Wailing voices and angry screams pierced the night while the family tried in vain to sleep. Boots worn by invisible feet walked down the darkened hallway outside the bedrooms. The family grew weary, losing sleep, and no longer eating because of the continuous violence and torment. Many thought the story, after reporting to authorities and locals in the area, was exaggerated. That was, of course, until hundreds of people from all over the world came to the house to experience it themselves. The house quickly became almost a tourist attraction, attracting scientists, researchers, spiritualists, mediums, and religious officials. They each had their theories of how the house came to be possessed. 
One included the idea that Mr. Surrency worshipped the devil. Another suggested that the Surrency family were strongly psychic and the ghosts were simply trying to receive help. Since the family couldn't help, however, as they didn't know how, the ghost just became more and more enraged. Eventually, the ghost became more violent, specifically targeting the youngest girl in the house. They would take her blankets in the middle of the night, lift her up out of the bed while she was sleeping, painfully pull out her hair at random times, and flip her bed over sideways. First of all, I want to talk about the fact that if a piece of silverware ever got thrown at me in my own house, I'm telling you right now, I would no longer be in that house. That was that's all it would take. Like immediately, pack your shit. We're out because I no, absolutely not. So not only so so it started with that. So like silverware being flying, the beady red eyes. If I looked out my window and saw red eyes staring at me, no, absolutely not. Yeah, like they just stopped eating and they stopped sleeping. They're like, oh, this is just how it is. Let's not leave. (laughs) No, 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 no. Get out. GTFO big time. That's why this story I told you is wild because if any of this happened to me or anybody else that is currently in this house that we are recording in, we would be gone. Absolutely gone. Like no return. And I did mark the youngest girl in the house because I wanted to mention something about that. Like, I feel like they might have targeted her because she is the youngest. Maybe she's more susceptible to it. So maybe they started with her. I don't know. All I know is it didn't get any better. Yeah. So the Surrency family decided enough was enough and they would leave their beloved farm. However, the ghost had different plans on that fateful day. The day their decision was made to move, a fireplace poker was lifted out of his resting place, floated down the hallway, and struck one of the boys on the head repeatedly. The younger brother helplessly watched as the poker retreated back to its original place without a peep, leaving the other boy bleeding on the floor. Excuse me, why are you not helping me? Like, if you saw a fireplace poker coming at me, you better f- you better do something. Because maybe he was just terrified and frozen. I don't care. I would be frozen in spot. It's like, not coming after you. And I don't want it to either. It can have you. No. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> On the face of it, it sounded as if the Surrency's house might have suffered an earthquake, which this theory is insane to me. In fact, that theory has been offered to explain the phenomena at the house, even if that explanation does not hold up. The strange activity lasted weeks, even years off and on, and the Surrency house was the only one affected and an earthquake? Improbable. Now, I don't know where our listeners are from, but we are from North Carolina, and we have had a couple of earthquakes. Now, don't get me wrong, they're not bad, but they don't last a week. They don't last weeks. They They don't come back every day. No, they last a few minutes, if that. So, that's why that theory is just so wild to me. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe I think what it might mean is that maybe the ground suffered an earthquake a long time ago before he built the house. And that, but that still doesn't make any sense. That would be a terrible foundation. Right. But that still doesn't make any sense. Your ground is haunted because of an earthquake, a natural disaster. (laughs) That don't make no sense. As for the haunted ghost vortex they once called home, it ended up burning down in 1925 after being abandoned for years. 
which was probably for the best, and nobody would want to risk another family being tormented by the spirits of these demonic entities. What makes the Surrency haunting so unique is that it was one of the most verified ghost stories in American history. Word traveled across the country about the small town and its haunted house, and visitors came from all over, even England and Canada, to witness the haunting in person. Interestingly, Few were disappointed because apparently the Surrency ghosts were anything but shy. Show-offs. England and Canada? Really? I mean, that's cool. I probably would. I would, if this house was still standing, I would like to see it. I'm going to look for pictures of it for sure. Yeah, I mean, this is what, the 1800s, so. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. That would probably be really cool Early. then. Yeah. Like, that would be travel worthy. Oh, yeah. For sure. And I guess it was a lot cheaper to travel back then, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> The haunting went on for several years until one night, after his son was chased down the hall by a floating ghost with unseen hands, Alan decided was enough was enough and moved his family out of the house. But the ghost followed the family also to their new home. Strangely enough, the haunting ended when Alan Serency died in 1877. Were the ghosts finally satisfied that they had their man, or was it a coincidence? In any case, unverified rumors spread that Alan had dabbled in dark religion or had committed some other heinous sin that was warranted the haunting. No one knows for sure. Today, few people talk of the Serency ghost anymore. All the witnesses to the haunting have long since passed, and the story has almost been lost to time. Some, however, say it continues to this day around the town of Serency. In fact, there is a famous ghost light there, a bright yellow ball of light that appears along the railroad tracks. In any case, the town is still there, located where highways 341 and 121 cross, but Allen's house is long gone, burned down to the ground in 1925. Okay, another place to put on our list of where we're going to go. We should go check out Cerency. I've never yeah. been. I don't know how far away it is I've from I've been us. to Savannah, Georgia. I don't think that I have ever been to Savannah. I know I was supposed to go with, like, the Girl Scouts a long time ago, but I never did, so. We stayed at a hotel and there was alligators in our front yard, like, in the parking lot. In Georgia? Yes. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yes. <laughs> Not a fun time. I don't know. I would still like to go see... I'd see it. I'd like to go see it. Um, and I'd, I would think it would be cool maybe to go to where the house... I don't know if anything's in place of where the house was, but it'd be cool to go see where it kind of was. The yeah. neighborhood or whatever. I don't know. We'll put it on our list of travel places. Yes. Now on to the next story. The Ghost of Bellamy Bridge in Mariana, Florida. The ghost... And now, before I start this story, I just want to say that this story is not as scary as it is just strange. And I like the story because I think it's sweet. I think it has a very sweet element to it. And it's, it's sad, but it's a cool story. So I wanted to include it. The story of the ghost of Bellamy Bridge is probably Florida's most famous ghost story. It is centered around an old steel frame bridge that spans the Chippewa River in the swamps north of Mariana. I don't know if it's Mariana or Mariana. Anybody can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm gonna say Mariana from here on, just so you know. The legend holds that the restless ghost of a young woman named Elizabeth Jane Bellamy roams the swamps around the bridge on dark foggy nights. The wife of one of Florida's key antebellum economic and political leaders, she is buried in an overgrown family cemetery not far from the skeletal remains of the old bridge. 
Bellamy Bridge is not accessible by car, but it can be reached via the half-mile Bellamy Bridge Heritage Trail on Highway 162 north of Mariana. The trail parking area is one-tenth of a mile west of the current Chippewa River Bridge. The trail is open during daylight hours. The story of the ghost of Bellamy Bridge is really a tale of two stories. The first is the story of a ghost, a legend that has evolved over more than a hundred years of time. The other is a true story of Elizabeth Jane Bellamy, which is far removed from the legendary tale. When the two stories are combined, they create a unique lesson in how real history can join with fiction to create popular folklore. But let's start with the legend. It holds that Elizabeth was the beautiful young bride of a prominent Jackson County planter, politician, and a bank examiner named Dr. Samuel C. Bellamy. The two were deeply in love and planned for their wedding to take place in the backyard of a beautiful mansion that Dr. Bellamy supposedly built it for his wife-to-be in nearby Mariana. The wedding is said to have been a remarkable affair, attracting guests and gifts from as far away as Europe. The two were wed in a garden of roses, and in their vows, each promised to love each other forever. In the hours following the wedding, however, storytellers hold that a horrible tragedy struck the young couple. Elizabeth, they say, was either dancing with her new husband or resting upstairs in a comfortable chair. The stories vary. When her long gown suddenly came in contact with either a candle or an open fireplace. The rich material burst in flames, and before her husband or any of their guests could react, Elizabeth ran screaming from the house. Overcome by the flames, she was horribly injured. The young woman survived for a few days, writhing in incredible agony, before finding peace in the arms of death. Her body was taken to the plantation of Samuel's brother, Dr. Edward C. Bellamy, and laid to rest in a grove of trees near the Chippewa River. The legend holds, however, that the grave was unable to contain her love for her lost husband. A spectral figure dressed in white began to appear at night along the banks of the river. In later years, when Bellamy Bridge was built at the site, her ghost was often seen in the swamps surrounding it. It is a fascinating tale, but is it true? That's been a question for years, and the answer is just as colorful and tragic as the ghost story itself. Now, that is just so sad to me that it says the grave was unable to contain her love for her lost husband. Like, I feel that so much. This story, I'm telling you, it made me so sad when I was researching it, but I love it. I think it's, I mean, I think it's a cool story. So we can go ahead though, and we'll talk about the true story of Samuel and Elizabeth Bellamy. They were real people, that's for sure. He was the son of a wealthy planter, and she was the daughter of General William Croom. They grew up near each other in North Carolina. Hey, we're here. We're everywhere. (laughs) But she was still a young girl when he left home to study medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Their courtship apparently began about the time that Samuel's older brother, Edward, married Elizabeth's older sister, Anne. Even though Samuel was nine years her elder, the two families approved of the match and records verify that the two were married on July 15, 1834 in North Carolina and three years before the supposed Florida wedding and fire. Both the Croom and Bellamy families took great interest in the vast lands available for settlement in the, ter- in the new territory of Florida. Elizabeth bro- Elizabeth's brother, Dr. Hardy Brian Croom, was already living in Florida, and it was not long before the two Bellamy brothers and their wives decided to relocate to the territory as well. Edward and Anne purchased the Fort Plantation where Bellamy Bridge stands today, while Samuel and Elizabeth acquired land they called the Rock Cave Plantation, along Baker Creek, a few miles northwest of Mariana. They lived there with their young son, Alexander, more and more than 80 African slaves they had brought with them from North Carolina. 
The lands along the Chippewa River and Baker Creek were ideal for growing cotton and sugarcane, and the plantations prospered. The swamps, however, were also breeding grounds for mosquitoes. Illnesses such as malaria and yellow fever plagued the early settlers of the area, and it was from fever, not fire, that Elizabeth met her death. Samuel's letters and obituary in the Tallahassee Floridian indicate that she died from fever on May 11, 1837. She was only 18 years old at the time. It is likely that Elizabeth was being cared for by her sister Anne when she died. She was laid to rest in a grove of trees near the site where Bellamy Bridge stands today. One week later, her young son Alexander also died from fever and was buried by her side. Samuel Bellamy never remarried and the old legend is correct in its assertion that he mourned for his wife for the rest of his life. So sweet. It is. So sweet. So sad. sad. But her husband went on to serve as a delegate to Florida's Constitutional Convention, as clerk of courts for Jackson County, and as secretary for the Florida Supreme Court. He took his own life in 1853 by cutting his throat with a razor at Chattahoochee, Florida. The massive mansion that legend holds he built for his young bride did not stand during her lifetime, but was started nine months after her death. It was demolished during the 20th century and survives today only in faded photographs. So, I wish we could go see it. That would be cool. But we can definitely... Find pictures. Find pictures. Oh, yeah, we'll find pictures and put them on our websites and social media and stuff like that. So, how did a ghost story about a woman burning to death on her wedding night evolve from a true story of a young wife who died from fever when she was 18 years old? The answer to that question is as fascinating as the legend itself. During the final days of her life, the famed 19th century novelist Caroline Lee Hentz lived in Mariana. As time passed, people began to associate the places described in her novels with real places in Jackson County. Her Long Moss Spring, for example, is now commonly associated with Blue Springs, even though she wrote about her spring well before she lived, well before she moved to Mariana. In her book, Ernest Linwood, or The Long Moss Spring, Hence described a tragic wedding night incident in which a young slave woman was severely burned after her dress came into contact with an open flame. She died from her injuries and her ghost soon began to appear in the area of her grave. The home in which the tragedy took place was called the Bellamy Plantation in the book. Ernest Linwood, the author noted in the preface, was based on real events, but the fire that claimed the young bride's life took place in Columbus, Georgia, not in Jackson County, Florida. And the unfortunate bride was not Elizabeth Jane Bellamy, but a young slave woman who was given a large wedding in the big house because her mistress held her in high regard. Caroline Lee Hentz died in Mariana and is buried at St. Luke's Episcopal Church. Over time, people came to believe that all of her books were based in Jackson County. The story of the wedding night fire on Bellamy Plantation came to be associated with Bellamy Bridge and the lonely graves of Elizabeth Jane Bellamy and her child. As time passed, people forgot almost entirely about Caroline Lee Hentz and her books, but the ghost story and legend of the tragic wedding night fire survived. In short, the ghost story grew from a novel based on real events that took place in another state. The tale became superimposed on a completely different family in Florida, making it a unique literary and cultural artifact. Quite interesting how that worked out. Yes. So, none of this means, of course, that there is not a ghost at Bellamy Bridge. 
The true story of Elizabeth Bellamy's life and her tragic death from fever just one week before the death of her child is more than sufficient to serve as the basis of a ghost story. Many people, in fact, claim to have seen a ghost in the vicinity of Bellamy Bridge. Their descriptions of the ghost vary. Some have seen a ball of fire that descends from the air straight down through the framework of the old bridge. Others say that the mysterious white lights appear in the surrounding swamp at night, and others still describe a ghostly figure of a young woman they have seen walking through the swamps on the west side of the bridge. The Bellamy Bridge Heritage Trail is a half-mile walking path that leads to the historic bridge. It's located at 4057 Highway 162, Mariana, Florida, between Greenwood and US 231, just one-tenth of a mile west of the Chipola River, and it is free to visit. So, uh, also putting that on our list of places to go. Gosh, we're going to have so many oh, places to go. we got to go hiking, though. Yeah. That's work. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be okay. We can at least go see it. That'd be yeah. cool. My resource for this story was exploresouthernhistory.com. So, that website has pictures and um, more of this story on there. So, if you want to go check it out, you can. But I, I wanted to add that story in because I thought it was sweet. I thought it was cool. Um, the, you know, I mean, it is kind of a ghost story, whether some aspects of it are true or some aspects of it aren't. Does it really matter, though? Something's there, according to people. Yeah, for sure. So, but other than that, I mean, I, I hope you guys enjoyed the stories today. Yes. That's it for today. Thanks for coming to hang out with us and listening to today's story. Don't forget, you can find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. All the links can be found on our website, 3amtalesofterror.com. That's three, the number three, not the word. You can also subscribe with your email for updates there as well. Just scroll all the way to the bottom under contact us. You'll find the links to all of our social media. If you have any questions for us or story ideas, you can email us at info at 3amtalesofterror.com. We hope you'll join us next week. And And we we hope hope you were terrified. terrified.